So let's go over to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, and the voice is a little weak. I've learned one thing about Pastor Wilkerson. He'll work you when you come, amen. And uh, so it started out with Brother Young saying, hey, would you come do chapel and church ed in the college a couple of days? Sure, and then it became this, it became that, and, and here we are tonight, amen. So, uh, but we've enjoyed it, and thank you for the hospitality, the guest room, is beautiful and all the kind reception at the schools and the different hosts, it's been a blessing. Colossians chapter two, I wanna read verse 16 starting there, follow along. The scripture says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, verily puffed up by his fleshly mind, notice this now, and not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. And I want to take that little phrase for my title in verse 19 and just speak to you for a few moments. I hope this will encourage you tonight on the subject of hold the head. Hold the head. So Father in heaven, bless the time in your word tonight. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. May we behold wondrous things from the truths in this book. Fill us both speaker and listener with your spirit and help us. In Christ's name we pray and amen. Imagine in days of old, a dad and mom sending their only son off to fight for his country in a war, say like World War I or World War II. And you know, in those days, communication was limited, only an occasional airmail letter made it back home from wherever he was serving overseas. But in their home is a picture of their son in his dress uniform. He looks sharp and handsome, sporting a big smile. And every day they take that picture, mom and dad, they take that picture and they hold it close to their heart. And they think on their son. They say a prayer for his safety and they long for the day that he'll walk through the door of the house and safe and sound and day after day passes with only the random letter. But they have that picture and they look at it and they hold it faithfully. Unknown to them, their son has some leave. He has some time off from the conflict and he's made arrangements with some relatives that live close to his home to surprise his parents with a visit. And so plans are made secretly for his homecoming and the big day finally comes when he knocks on the door of his home and he stands there waiting for his dad and his mom to jump into his arms and hug his neck. The door opens and both dad and mom are shocked. But instead of embracing their son and holding him tight, they run to the picture and they hold it to their hearts and they're crying tears of joy and they're jumping around and hugging each other. All the while, their son stands a few feet away, stunned that they're not hugging and kissing him. Now that sounds a little bizarre, right? And that probably would never happen in real life. But it gives us a little bit of an idea of how some of the church members in Colossae were really treating Jesus Christ. Now, we have to take a couple of minutes to give the background of the church here in order for us to grasp what Paul is writing about in this text. You know that in the first century, many Jews were coming to salvation in Jesus Christ. 
They had been taught all the ceremonial aspects of their religion. They practiced those rituals faithfully. You know the drill, certain meats could be eaten and others were off limits. There were special days, holy days that were to be observed, feasts to take part in, bodily washings. Several of those and many of those took place several times during a day. There were many moving parts, now listen, in their religion that had to be observed. And you know what the Jews did? They gave themselves to those moving parts seriously, sincerely. But here's the catch. Those rituals and ceremonies were pictures of their coming Messiah. The anointed one who was going to be sent by God to deliver them from their sin once and for all. Now, he wasn't on earth yet, but they had those pictures to hold to faithfully. Then the day came when Jesus was born, and he grew, and he was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again. The promised Messiah had done the work he came to do. The Messiah had come, and his death, burial, and resurrection provided salvation, eternal salvation for any and all who would believe. And because the Son had come, all those pictures of him were no longer necessary. But in the church at Colossae, like a lot of other churches in the first century, there were Jewish teachers who influenced some of the Jews who had trusted Christ. And their influence concerned these ceremonial rituals that had been a part of their religion for so long. And these Jewish teachers insisted that, yeah, even though Christ had come and had died and been buried and had risen again, the people still had to observe the food laws and, and the feast and the holy days and the washings and the Sabbaths. And, and don't let those things go. Hold on to all of those things. And that's why Paul wrote what he did in verses 16 and 17. He wrote this church that they did not have to fear the judgment and the harsh words of the Jewish teachers. Those teachers were holding on to shadows, Amen. shadows, instead of clinging to Christ. And the pictures were no longer necessary because the person had come. And those teachers were like the dad and mom holding the picture of their son to their hearts while their son stood just within arm's reach. You see, the object of their worship and their sincere devotion and their love and faithfulness was no longer the rituals. It was supposed to be Jesus. The person had come and the right thing to do was hold on to Christ. That's what he was writing about. Paul was not only concerned about those Jewish teachers, he was also concerned in verse number 18 about others who would lead the church members astray as well. You see, there were men who went off on the deep end of things that were not known as well as the story of Jesus was known. And they came with beguiling words and they came with beguiling thoughts about things they had never seen. And a lot of their attention was given to the worship of angels. And Paul said they come across as humble, but it's a false humility. They were proud of knowing things that no one else knew. It was kind of like, hey, church, we got something that the apostle Paul never taught, you, never taught you. But God has shown us some things that nobody else has seen or nobody else has heard. 
They were like the intellectuals in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 21, living in Athens, who spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And the new thing was something that no one else had discovered. And the reason no one else had discovered it was because it didn't even exist. That's the problem. And so in verse number 19, Paul says the problem with both of these groups, the problem with them is they're not holding the head. Now in your book, the word head has an uppercase H. That's a proper noun. That is speaking of Jesus. In fact, verse 19 is speaking of Jesus and the church. These people were members of a church. Jesus was the head and they were a body. And people cannot say that what they were a part of was incredible. Here were Jews and Gentiles in the same assembly together. Here were masters and servants, employers and employees worshiping together because all the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And here they were assembling together in worship of Jesus Christ. He provided full salvation for all of them through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And not only were they saved, their lives were being changed. Their families were being changed. Their lifestyles were being changed. They were growing, growing individually as followers of Christ. They were growing corporately as one by one, other people were saved, baptized, and starting to grow and have their lives changed. And people, all the power for this living body was not supplied by the pictures. All the power for this living body was supplied by the head. And the head was Jesus. There were they, the members of the church, they were the joints and the bands, the, the ligaments and tendons, if you will, that made up the body and held it together. But all of them, the whole body, were nourished and built up through the power of the head, Jesus Christ. They should not glory in the rituals. They should not glory in the ceremonies. Those things weren't necessary any longer. They shouldn't hold the picture to their heart. They should hold the person to their heart. They should not glory in the knowledge of uncertain things that no one knew for sure. They should glory in the knowledge of the certain things that was right in front of them. They should hold to the head Jesus who brought them and held them together. And truthfully, church, all of chapter 2, all through chapter 2, Paul is lifting up Christ. Look at it with me real quick. I'm not going to go through every verse, but you see the end of verse number 2, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Verse 3, in whom? Verse 5, the end of the verse, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, as ye therefore, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Verse seven, rooted and built up in him. Verse number eight, after, and not, not, don't, don't follow the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Verse nine, for in him, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And verse 10, ye are complete in him. Verse number 11, in whom? 
You're also circumcised. At the end of the verse, by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, where also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13, hath he quickened together with him. At the end of verse 14, nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, and having made, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. When verse 17, but the body is of Christ over and over and over. The repetitive theme of chapter two in the book of Colossians is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Why are you holding on to the picture? Why are you holding the picture of Christ? The picture of the person, the person has come. Let the picture go and hold to the person. Hold him close. Jesus, not religion. Jesus, not man. Jesus, not some mystical, unknown spiritual or spirit world theory. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the context of what Paul is writing about to this local church that it was in existence in the first century AD. But listen, the potential infection that endangered the church at Colossae is still a, a danger to us today. And the problem comes when we get our eyes off the head. It is when we quit holding on to the head, the one who we should hold on to, the one we should love, the one we should worship, the one we should glory in, the one that she we should serve, the one that we should revere above any other is the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the truth of the matter is when we first get saved, it's really just all about Jesus, isn't it? We hear that he died. We hear that he was buried. We hear that he rose again to pay our sin debt. And if we'll trust in him as our savior and only him, he'll forgive us of our sin. Our names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, a home in heaven for us, saved forever. Not a Baptist doctrine, a Bible doctrine. Amen. Yes, a Baptist doctrine, but more importantly, a Bible doctrine. It's really all about Christ. And then we start to grow. And we learn doctrine. And then we learn things that the Bible teaches us about this and that. We learn about separation from the world and we learn about methodology a little bit and about soul winning and we learn this and we learn that and we had this and before long folks, if we're not careful, we have let go of the head and we're holding to all these other things that really are subservient to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is who we always hold on to. Listen, I am, I am a Baptist with a capital B. Brother Curtis Hudson used to say, Baptist born and Baptist bred. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. And I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe in separation. All of it. We practice separation. We practiced it in my family when our kids were home. We practice it now. We promote that in our church. And I am for it. And I'm not making light of it, would not throw shade on it whatsoever. But I wonder sometimes if we have not gotten infatuated with our, our Baptist position and our position on separation and our this and that and don't do this and we don't do that, we don't do this and we don't, and I'm all for all of that. But what do we do? And what are we holding on to? Because the one that we're supposed to be holding on to above all else, above all other things, is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And while we learn the book and while we learn how to live for Christ and while we, I'm not suggesting that any of these things are secondary. I'm just saying that the, the person that needs to be nearest and dearest to our hearts is not our, our separated position. It's not even really our opportunity to share. The person that's the one that's supposed to be held closest to our heart is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I love what the preacher did at the beginning of the service tonight. What's Jesus mean to you? I said, well, that's exactly right. He is the head we are to hold. We're to revere him, love him, serve him above all else. Because this is why we're, he is why we are here. He is the head. I think these things quickly, you know, Jesus birthed the church. Jesus called and assembled men together, and he birthed the church doing his earthly ministry. He called it in Matthew chapter 16, my church. It was his by right of birth. Jesus bought the church. Peter told us that. He said, you're redeemed, not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus' blood is the price that was paid for you and me to be saved. It is his death, burial, and resurrection that provides salvation. We are a purchased possession paid for with the blood of God that flowed through the body of Jesus Christ. He bought the church. Jesus builds the church. And he builds it one by one as people trust him for salvation. And salvation that he, that he provided. And salvation is necessary for one to be a member of an assembly like this. Baptism is also necessary for membership. And, and what does baptism picture? Baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person cannot be added to a church unless they've trusted in Jesus as finished his work and then been obedient to the ordinance that pictures his finished work. And how about the other ordinance that he left to the church? That of the Lord's Supper, which causes us to remember him. This do in remembrance of me when you pass the bread. It's a picture of my body that was broken. When you pass the cup, it's a picture of my blood that was shed to save you from your sin. This do in remembrance of me, 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 me. He birthed the church. He bought the church. He builds the church. And he builds it through the witness of the church members. And the world is to be reached with the message again of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're not told to go to the world with a message about something that's not clear, something that's not plain. We are told to tell the world that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. It is him who it's all about. He birthed the church. He bought the church. He builds the church. Jesus binds the church. Jesus is the nourishment that binds the members of the body together and grows them. Folks, we don't, see, we don't receive nourishment from theories about the spirit world or things that are not clearly understood or conspiracy theories about our government. We don't, we don't receive nourishment from some new thing that somebody just found 
There is no new thing that has just been found that provides nourishment. No, sir. We receive nourishment from the teaching and the example of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Us as members, we receive help and we, we grow strong together from our head. I'm talking about Christ tonight. Paul said, church, be careful that you, let, don't, you don't let loose of the head. Hold the head. And then can I say that Jesus beckons the church? Jesus beckons us to be ready for his return. His return. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Oh, thank God. One of these days, Jesus will return to catch us up to be with him. And he beckons us to be ready for his appearing and not caught ashamed before him. Are, are you here? Him, his, him, his, in him, him, his. It's Christ, 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 Christ. So what do we do, church? We hold the head. We hold the head. The word hold means to hold fast to not discard or let go, to keep carefully and faithfully. I guess all I want to get across tonight to here on this Wednesday evening is don't turn loose of Jesus. Don't let go of Christ. Keep him preeminent in your life. Learn the Bible. Learn the things the Bible teaches. But don't, go so, don't get so infatuated with a position that you really lose the head. It's Christ that makes what, this life what it is. It's Christ that makes this assembly what it is. I'm not belittling the pastor here tonight. God gives you the gift of a pastor, the under-shepherd, but you know he's taught you. He knows he's not the head. Jesus is the head of this place. And through him, you receive nourishment. And through him, you grow. And through him, your lives are changed. Through him, your kids know how, to, know how to grow up and live for God. He is the center of it all. He's the head. Don't turn loose of the head. You know, as I, I said just a little bit ago, when you first get saved, it's all about Jesus. It's all we knew. And we held him. I remember when I got saved, October 15th, 1975, Graysville, Tennessee, on a Wednesday night. Don't tell me Wednesday nights are not important. I got saved on a Wednesday night. I got called to preach on a Wednesday night. Wednesday night's incredibly important. I remember the first thing I did was sit down and write my parents a letter that I had trusted Jesus. It was all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The sweetest name I know. Amen. You know, sometimes you wonder if you have the mind of God about a message where you're a visiting speaker in a place on a, on a service and we come tonight, and Lord, I'm, I believe I have the right thing. I believe I have the right burden on my heart. And, and the, the brother comes and says, let's sing more about Jesus. Would I know more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee, my Jesus, I love thee. What a friend we have in Jesus. And Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. And that song we learned as little children, Jesus loves me. This I know. Church, with all you got going on, 
in your individual life, whatever ministry you're involved in here, outreach to wherever, whatever you're doing, hold to the head. Hold to Christ. You're rooted and built up in him. You're seated with him in heavenly places. Hold the 